Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, for new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast comes from one particular idea. It began for me when I was working for a pastor, a Protestant pastor on a university campus, who asked me the question, what's more important to the Bible or tradition? It was that question that led me on a deep dive into the history of Christianity, the history of my faith, the Bible, the canon, all these sorts of things. And it was on that deep dive that I encountered for the very first time Catholic theology, Catholic history, things from a Catholic perspective. And I realized that when I thought I knew about the Catholic faith and the Catholics that I knew was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast starts to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe, how we operate, and what we actually believe, what we actually do, how we actually live, the, the, the real ideas behind those misconceptions. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, I am joined by Patrick Callahan to talk about remaining, uh, staying Catholic, deepening your Catholic faith on college campuses. It's a fantastic conversation, really deep into things, really great perspective, really humbling, really fascinating conversation about how to remain and deepen your faith on a college campus. Uh, Very important these days for Catholics. We have seen the statistics, we've seen the polls, we know the data, what it says, uh, how people are going in and coming out from universities, what Catholic education is doing for people. Uh, This is, I think, right here on on the bleeding edge of thinking about these kinds of things with my guest this week. It's a fantastic conversation. I hope that you enjoy it. I loved having it. Hopefully you enjoy listening to it as well. This conversation and all others on this show are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and our generous one-time sponsors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. You guys help to keep this show going and growing week after week. It's not my full-time job, as you might know, and so you guys enable me and my family to keep affording to do this week after week. So thank you for your support. Those links on how you can support the show are in the show notes. And now, without any further ado, my conversation with Patrick Callahan on remaining, staying, keeping the Catholic faith, deepening that Catholic faith on the college campus. Please listen and enjoy. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening. If you are listening on podcast, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. If you can, that helps to push the podcast out to new listeners and expand our reach and the mission of this thing here. If you're watching on YouTube, thanks for watching. We're obviously on podcast as well, but subscribe to our YouTube channel if you can. Hit the bell, do all those fun things, leave some comments, love hearing from you. It's always a good time and uh, thanks for watching. I'm joined this week by Patrick Callahan. He is director of the Newman Institute for Catholic Thought and Culture, as well as assistant professor of English and Humanities at St. Gregory the Great Seminary. His undergraduate work at the University of Dallas and his graduate work at Fordham University in classical philology. He lives with his wife, Elise, and their five children in Lincoln, Nebraska. And he's my guest after a long time of waiting. <laughs> 
It's been a while, Patrick. I'm, I've been chasing you for a long time, so I'm glad to have you now. Thanks for being here. I'm glad uh, to be here. <laughs> welcome to the show. It's been fun trying to get this thing to work. I'm glad that you're finally here. Who knows what can go wrong next? I, I don't know. We were sick. You had some things. Uh, it's been back and forth for a bit, so I'm glad we're both relatively yeah. okay. We're, we're here. It's going, so let's see how long we can we can last for. Uh, well, we're both, you know, we have young families and mine's right upstairs. So if, you know, I, I could get called out at any minute. Yeah, yeah. Mine's also upstairs. So let's keep our fingers crossed and uh, and see how it goes. Uh, first of all, I want you to tell us a bit more about the Newman Institute so we know what's going on. Like what, lay some foundation for what, what mm-hmm. you do there. Tell us kind of what you do uh, and, and where you do it, basically. To, to begin, I want to start there if we can. Well, it's kind of a, a strange beast. Um so we're familiar with Newman Centers. They're across the country. There's about 2,000 in the United States, um, largely providing, you know, sacraments and formation to our college students. And um, that's not always the case of how it used to be. There used to be Newman Clubs. Newman Clubs that started out in eighteen late 1870s and then the 1880s and continuing on were just that. Um, students would gather together, early people like, uh, trying to think, Hilaire Belloc, G.K. Chesterton, Evelyn Waugh would come together and they would present papers, not just as adults, but also undergraduates. And they'd meet back and forth and they'd just go to whatever church happened to be around the area. And it was largely about adding Catholic formation and intellectual life into the college campus. So the Newman Institute started in 2015 under uh, a board formed by Bishop James Conley. And that was overseen by a number of academics and people who had been in campus ministry for a number of years. And we kind of went to the drawing board and said, okay, what's, what's missing here? Um, we have a lot of great things. The Newman Center at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, it's fantastic. Um, we have about 25,000 undergraduates. Um, we have over 2,000 undergraduates um, who come to Mass every Sunday. So, I mean, we're the larger than most small Catholic colleges. And... Uh, you know, we have focus here and we have great groups. We have a large focus uh, presence on campus, Bible studies. That's been happening from the earliest days of focus. I believe we were the the second or the third campus. So our pastor, Father Robert Mattia, um, been here for 25 years, was one of the first people to call Curtis Martin up on the road and say, hey, can you guys get in here and got on the ground floor? And that's been phenomenal, the number of locations and other stories that have come out of that. And then Bishop Conley formed this board seven years ago to, well, six and a half, to kind of look at what we could do here to take things to the next level, to sort of fulfill a vision of Catholic formation, you know, intellectually, morally, liturgically, spiritually, at the Newman Center. And out of that was born the Newman Institute for Catholic Thought and Culture. So the idea there is that it's a a collaboration between St. Gregory the Great Seminary, so I think I'm... I don't think it's visible here, but I'm wearing my St. Gregory's uh, apparel today. So under the auspices of St. Gregory Great Seminary, I operate, but I have offices and I teach classes for credit, and we have non-credit classes. They're all taught at the Newman Center for UNL students. And then in collaboration with my colleagues at the seminary, I'll, I'll go teach a little Greek over there. They come teach a little philosophy for me. So it's kind of one of these things where we have an existing faculty of Catholics at the seminary who can come in and supplement what I do. So I'm kind of a humanities guy. My training's in Latin and Greek and great books. 
And, you know, we have some phenomenal moral philosophers at the seminary. We have, you know, a, a ton of other resources there. So we're able to bring in all these other faculty and, you know, additional faculty from the region and kind of give students at UNL a Catholic education while at a state school. So you have the pricing of a state school. You have the conveniences of a state school in terms of numbers of majors and the minors and everything else like that. Um, but then you can also get a Catholic education. And that's the, the key thing that not many Newman centers undertake. It's a very rare thing. Um, there's a few of us who've been trying to do it. Um, most offer non-credit options. A few offer four credit options. Um, most of them focus on theology. And Bishop J James Conley, who started this, his heart coming out of the Integrated Humanities Program in the 1970s, where he was a student and then converted into the faith, saw that Catholicism is not just about studying theology in college, that theology has to integrate with all the other disciplines, that you need to see the connections. I mean, it's the reason why seminarians in their, their first four years of college don't study theology. They start with philosophy, right? There has to be the groundwork here that lays the, the good ground, the good soil for the faith. So it's not just about teaching theology. It's about memorizing poetry, going out and seeing the stars. It's I mean, so many other things that are part of the larger activities of the Newman Institute. So it's hard to describe. It's very busy, but I'm at the end of the semester, so I feel grateful now. <laughs> That's so fantastic. There's a lot to get into there. I, the one thing that I, that struck me as you were talking there about the integration, it's not just theology that you're teaching, right? And I, I took, say, for example, my own undergrad course, my own undergrad career, uh, a history course taught at a Catholic college that was on campus where I, where I went up here in Canada, but it was just that. It was just history. It was so isolated. And I th thinking back now, I thought, what an opportunity that was missed to actually teach that from, say, a Catholic perspective or integrate Catholic thought into this course at a Catholic college on campus there, which seems like what, what, what you're, you're doing there, right? This is things from a Catholic perspective, not just Catholic courses taught in isolation or just, a you know, in my case, a history course taught at a Catholic school, but isolated from all kind of Catholic thought. There, the important thing I think is this integration, right? And and then that welcoming, that that reaching out to students on campus. I think that's a phenomenal uh, framework, a uh, phenomenal kind of way of do, uh, the word. <laughs> the word's escaping me, but uh, uh, it's it's about being born in wonder. Yeah. Um, oh, and that. so the idea is that uh, it's not just a, a head thing. I think the the problem with most college students today, that as I've experienced it, even the ones who are very deeply involved in Newman centers, and I've I've been on various college campuses. I taught at Wichita State University and Poirier State University. So I've, I've been inside the system, and I've also been associated with Newman Centers. And now I'm kind of living you know, both lives of being a, a faculty member at, at St. Gregory the Great Seminary, which is an academic institution, but also you know, having offices in the Newman Center and dealing with the, the Newman Center students. And, and the thing that I would say is characteristic is that there's this heart-head dichotomy between I go to the chapel, I go to daily mass, I'm into my Bible study, and Jesus is where my heart is, but then I'm doing my graphic design or my um, speech pathology major or my ag science or whatever major it is. And that classroom engages a whole other part of myself, right? And so there's sort of my brain, which is on campus, and my heart, which is in the chapel. And that's good. But what we're trying to do is restore those two things, right? That what can happen is if you allow that heart-head dichotomy to coexist for a certain length of time, eventually there'll be life events where you can't square one with the other, 
or you've never been challenged to see the integration of these two things. So it's completely about that. And it's also about just being frivolous at other times. We'll go, we'll memorize poetry on campus and try to inspire wonder of like the reality of God's creation. So we'll, we'll go to the student union and it's kind of embarrassing for them. So we'll be reciting like something like Keats or something. And there's, you know, the university has these ornamental trees, right? Um, and a lot of them are fruit trees. So beginning a college campus, we'll, we'll maybe have a discussion of St. Augustine and the confessions and going and stealing, you know, the, the nasty fruit from the peach trees, right? And usually on the Feast of St. Augustine, you can usually get something on campus. And just scandalize these people as we're walking by and we're reciting poetry and they're like, <laughs> what, what is this group about? And it's like, oh, it's, it's a Catholic class. It's for credit. And we're going to go um, eat some fruit off of these trees because, you know, God created these things and we're supposed to honor this creation, not by getting it prepackaged and shipped from Chile and Argentina any time of the year I want it. It's about accepting the gifts that God gives us as he provides them seasonally. So that also helps them enter into sort of like the liturgical rhythm and spirit that the church is trying to teach you, which, which is also part of the well-ordered life, right? Of understanding that it's not about having everything all the time and the, inconven- the inconveniences that we, we suffer, right? When bananas are not on sale, right? <laughs> um, instead going in back to this older rhythm of life, which then makes you appreciate that. It's the same sort of thing that, um, my family's works in construction. And so when I was a young man, I did a lot of windows and doors and other sort of construction business type stuff. And it was a hard day's work. And those are the best lunches I ever I ate, right? The sitting down on the work site, putting everything aside and just really taking pleasure in the thing that God gave you. And I think that same spirit of engaging reality is missing from a lot of our academic work. So, um, it's kind of fun to have an academic program that's about trying to re-engage students in that, which is then a propedeutic, right? That is, um, it's a foregrounding before you actually teach them, right? That if I just give you the gospel message, right, and I just recite, you know, the creed or whatever it is, or just do, you know, the, the, the quote-unquote trendy thing these days of the basic gospel message, if you don't have an experience of reality, then you don't know that you need Jesus. So. <laughs> <laughs> don't stop <laughs> preach it that's fantastic well i mean when you think about that is uh you know do we actually have a sense of original sin right in this world where everything is kind of you know i look around it and it's this sort of alice through the looking glass dystopian like everything for me i understand that smartphones and the black mirror of the computer and everything like this are this weird thing that's disengaging me from reality and is an anti-sacrament, right? Uh, when you think about that. And so we're trying to re-sacramentalize the world, re-enchant the world for these students. And then you can talk about a, a God who came into the world and what does that mean? So, and that, that's been really, it's been really difficult these last few years with the coronavirus and COVID-19 with these college students. They've been so detached from the world and the incentives to, to detach from the world are so high. The stakes are so difficult in order to engage with reality that it almost becomes too difficult. This is why they're not dating as much. Um, you know, things that we see as sort of problematic of, you know, over drinking use of drugs and sex and everything else. 
this culture right now, the current students, which again, sort of reality, fun things. Like I'm going to give you a little pet peeve here of mine is that I'm a millennial <laughs> and I'm turning 40 this, this weekend. Right. And so it's really funny to hear, you know, people in the church be like, we've we got to get to these millennials these days. I'm like, no, no, no. Millennials are the ones who have children in middle school right now. Um, it's a whole other generation and it's a whole other mindset that we're dealing with. And it's, it's, um, it's a whole other challenge. Um, they're so detached from reality and the stakes are just so difficult that it's, I run this virtue class for college um, pledges and fraternities. So two, two fraternity classes. And, you know, I asked them sort of what are the problems that they're dealing with today? Um, and it's, it's not, it's not the typical things. We talk about courage. We talk about honesty. We talk about a lot of the other traditional virtues and the number one impediment to so many of them is this crippling anxiety, yeah. this, this amount of choices that they have and the fear that one single choice is going to cascade them into this completely ruin their lives, right? That someone's going to post something online and it's going to ruin you, right? The, the sort of need voyeuristically to engage in the culture, to get on Snapchat, Sorry, I just showed my age there calling it Snapchat, right? <laughs> TikTok or, or um, whatever, you know, whatever other platforms people are using, right? Um, and to watch other people. But anytime that you want to present yourself, it has to be very yeah. carefully curated. And even then, there's this high level of anxiety there that not enough people are liking this, not enough people are sharing this. And, you know, talking about the perennial things in these classes is often in something that's refreshing for them, right? That they're so engaged in presentism of what is going on right in the moment that it's, it's often just a beautiful thing to, to read these ancient texts and say, it's okay. You know, whatever you think is your concern right now, we've dealt with it before. Um, and we have answers and, and possible solutions. And you're not alone. And I think that's the... The biggest thing for them is this idea of being connected, right, in so many levels, which are no actual authentic friendships, right? Yeah. And and that's really what uh, Bishop Conley will talk about this, um, and that's what the Newman Institute exists for, is authentic friendship in some ways, right? That's the undergraduate experience. Graduate school is for your professional degree and it's to maybe kill a little of your soul as you're getting <laughs> on into it. At 40, but under, yeah. 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 <laughs> New York city and, and, uh, writing a, yeah. But you know, there's that experience of graduate school, which can, which is a professional degree. And then there's the undergraduate experience, which we've kind of lost that sense of it's okay to make friends, to take interesting electives, to kind of just find your way and you're going to graduate and it's not the end of the world. I think, you know, we've lost the sense of, all right, I'm going on to graduate school. That's part of my career why don't I take a second to look at some of the statistics about admissions to the graduate school of my choice? Maybe I'll start to notice some interesting things there where the students who are admitted to the school of their choice are often these humanities majors, students who are engaged with the, the sort of perennial issues and the inability for people to adapt in the current environment and work is largely driven by the fact that they've trained for a job in undergraduate that no longer exists by the time that they are in the workplace. There's a lot of that I want to talk to you about. I think I want to begin with the, the idea that, that 
So for me, my experience in undergrad was fantastic in terms of my, my faith life. Right? I, I became Catholic after university, so I'm a convert, uh, became Christian in high school, evangelical, went off to university and found an amazing evangelical, non-denominational student church on campus and a vibrant ministry there. Uh, got, got plugged in there, met my wife there, all our friends there, built a community there, and it was amazing. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. So my experience in undergrad, my faith life in undergrad just exploded. Just, it, it took off. And I began asking Catholic questions around that time. And I became Catholic a little bit, well, not a little bit, a while after that. But for, for me, that was an awesome experience in, in college and university in terms of my faith life. There's a lot there for me. I had an awesome church and lots of friends and, and an awesome community. Mm-hmm. But this is where so many people, and you know this, begin to ask questions of their faith they've never asked before, be, be challenged in ways they haven't been challenged before. And statistics, I think, bear out the fact that right, so many people lose or leave their faith in, in college. Right, and this is a, a larger issue in, in the church today. Sorry, if you had more no, to say. My, my hand, my, my, <laughs> that was the end of my... I, I should have had more to say, but just, my brain just stopped no, it's, there. So. It's beautiful to hear your experience because that is kind of what... Newman centers can be like, right? There's two aspects. There's the sort of intellectual formation that can happen there, but it has to take place in this larger context of what you're describing is, you know, a larger school where in order to feel connected, just like in the Oxford system that John Henry Newman knew, you have to have your smaller college, right? You have to have your smaller cohort of friends and finding that in the Newman center, right? That's, that's gold, right? That's something that's great. The, the difficulty today, I think, in most Newman centers, of course, is that that friendship is not one that's based on the studies, right? And so losing that as the common connection loses it as a university cohort and loses that college atmosphere, right? Um, but that's, a, that's something else aside. When you're talking about the, the problem today and losing the faith, I would say the, the greatest danger that we have is that our students are inoculated to the faith when they're in K through 12 Catholic education um, or in CCD or whatever it is that they get, right? That is the the principle of inoculation. They've received just enough that they don't actually fall sick with it, right? They've received enough that they've built up sort of a routine of defenses that are able to block that from ever being heard, right? And so nothing about the virus which is the faith, right? Sorry, this is an un, un, uh, <laughs> unfriendly metaphor in some ways. But the idea is that we want people to catch the faith, right? We want it to, quote unquote, go viral. And w- in order for that to happen, right, we, we can't have these inoculated students. And so the, one of the difficulties is that students come to the college campus and they're not engaged in a realistic way about the deeper questions of the faith. That we keep campus ministry as a, something that's uh, and I'm just going to like um, put my, my cards on the table here, like happy clappy, right? Um, <laughs> let's read the Bible and say what we feel about the Bible without actually engaging sort of like, hey, how does the church ask us to read the Bible? What are the resources that we're university students? You do papers, right? You should be, because you're admitted, capable enough to going up and opening a catechism and saying, what are all these footnotes doing in here? And then saying, oh my gosh, they're sources, right? This is the treasures of the church. It's not just like the catechism that I read in K through 12 education. There's reading the saints. There's reading the magisterial documents. You know, if I'm reading the Bible and I'm running a Bible study and I'm a university student and I just, we're busy. We all say that we're busy. And of course, you're university students who don't actually have children. So you think (laughs) you're busy, but 
well, it's negotiable. Talk to me in 10 years. <laughs> but as a university student, there's so many resources in sort of Catholic exegesis that you could go to and have an intentionality of, of saying, all right, I'm going to open up this passage from Acts with my Bible study today. And instead of just me randomly spitting out what I feel about Acts, right, which again is kind of one of the lower ways of trying to understand it. Again, there's a literal, right, then there's the moral. But then trying to go into the riches of what the church produces and say, okay, well, actually, there are all these tools for me as an adult to understand what the Bible means and to read it as the church says. Otherwise, you know, it's... um, Sorry, pet peeve of mine. So I, I like to um, apply, uh, and I also like uh, Chaucer. So during uh, the time of Chaucer, one of the things that you read in The Wife of Bath and some of these other stories is um, allusions to the the heresy of Lollardism in England at the time. And there are many things that Lollards did, but one of the other things that Lollards did is they ran Bible studies where they had no sort of connection to the church's way in which we read scripture. And so when I encounter modern you know, college Bible studies that are just like, we just sit around, we read, we say whatever we feel like, you know, it must be right because it's the Bible. And it's like, that's Lollardy, you know? And of course, I'm a little more um, tactful than that. But with you, I'm going to just call it what it is. Oh, it's fantastic. And that's the, so I, I guess my question is, how do you, how do you break through that to begin with? Because, okay, you, you get them into the institute, you get them taking these classes and, I mean, opening their eyes with 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 wonder, the, the natural world, the the great texts, l- looking at philosophy and theology, integrating those things into their Catholic life. That's awesome. How do you get those guys into the door, though? Or do they? Or because you're talking about right these these people who come, these students who come inoculated. I love that the weird <laughs> metaphor you've laid out there. It's, it's I like it. It's good. It's well, good. It's, it's, it's not mine. It's, it's, it's a, it's a good friend of mine, father, Steve Bissot. He's the rector of the <laughs> pontifical Josephinum college. And I stole it from him. Okay. Okay. Well, credit what credit is due. I appreciate that. I'm sure he does too. How do you get them from there to begin thinking deeply though? Like that, because this seems like mm-hmm. the problem to me for, for me in my case, right? I, I plugged into a group and that was the relationship that built from there and then good solid teaching. I mean, we we were we were partisans. We had those Bible studies as you described, right? And I was the guy who in the later end of that began to bring these church fathers' commentaries with me to the Bible study. And everyone's going and, and talking <laughs> about doomed. the, the, the different the different point, ways yeah. of reading scripture and everyone's kinda of going, What who's the, who's this guy? And this is what it means. And I'm like, No, 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 what look at look at this. So that yeah, that was the beginning of the end for me. But how do you get them, how do you get students past that, I'm leaving the faith, because I know enough to not really care to think too deeply about it, to actually digging into it? That's, is that the million dollar question? Is that like what everyone's well, trying to figure like out? To people like to pretend it's a million dollar question, and people like to sell you programs that yeah. say that there's a solution to the million dollar you know, question. Um, the truth is, you know, where at least I come from, is more the Socratic mindset of understanding that I'm not teaching a program. Right? I have human beings that are in front of me, and I have souls that need to be saved and minds that need to be enlightened. And so each one's particular. You know, there's sort of methods and tacks, and there's different ways, and there's you know, sort of broader nets that we can cast. So uh, Catholic News Agency just picked up an article about our Catholicism 101 class. And about half of the students in that class aren't Catholic. Some of them are Catholic, and some of them in RCIA, right? And for that, you know, how did we get them in? We said, okay, what do people come to, right? People come to food, right? And just sort of like meeting that base need as a college student. 
And so instead of just throwing crummy pizza, right, and some bagels and other sort of like fare, on, on Sunday nights we'll come and we'll make just this wonderful dinner and we'll say, all right, you know, if you're going to Mass, you come to the dinner afterwards. If you're not going to Mass, that's okay. Here's dinner, right? And you might stay and you might go to class after dinner. And then after that class, there's a mass again, right? And again, the, the, the class is very conveniently an hour long, which then holds the fast, right? And then we had this amazing thing happen um, where we had all these students, Catholic and not Catholic, who were coming to these classes. We had over 110. We went from not having anything to just to that, and it was beautiful. And we are just handing out catechisms left and right, <laughs> uh, which was also great because then the next week or two, I was walking around campus, going to the library or something like that, and I'm seeing big blue catechism and I see the stamp of the Newman Institute on him. Like, this is, this is great. <laughs> um, you know, that reaches some people and some people are curious about the faith. Right. And, you know, we have a great instructor for that class, Max Chapman. He's been a focused missionary for many years. Um, and he's part of varsity Catholic. So he, he's a, he's a man that people can, can look up to and respect. Right. Um, he was a football player in college. He, you know, has a wonderful wife and kids. And it's about building relationships. And he had existing relationships there at the Newman Center already. And then students inviting them and changing their mindset of, hey, it's not just about you. It's like, who are you going to bring next week? And that was the great thing of seeing like, okay, the initial signups. And then once you gave them something that wasn't just like empty calories, that we're going to engage with real questions and a real level. And we're going to say, oh, you know what, I, I love, there was a great story of um, Max was teaching class, and one of the Protestants in, in class was challenging him on, on the scripture uh, passages that he said, and he's, at first he was able to deflect and say, well, actually, it still only happened once, because it's a synoptic passage that, yes, it's also in, in Matthew, but, you know, it, it, it's a singular moment, right, because it's this. And then there was another moment where he said, you know what, I'm going to have to come back to you. And that honesty, that authenticity of saying, I don't know the answer right now off the top of my head. I'm just not, I'm not a, a car salesman here with the faith, right? I am engaging in it and I am going to go pray about what you said. I'm going to go read about what you said. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about it. Um, so that, that appeals to one group of students. You know, there are other groups of students who come in. We do a lot of outdoor adventure stuff. So we'll go out to the Black Hills and Badlands and we'll go uh, camping and hiking and climbing mountains. And um, it's just the beauty of, doing a Alexio Divina, right? So taking the, the beginning passages of Genesis and reading it on top of a, a mountain, right? <laughs> Looking over creation. And, you know, sort of have a few students who are formed in that and then invite their friends who are not formed in that. Hey, do you want to go hiking with me for a few days, right? And then when we're hiking, we're going to pray. And then when we're on top of the mountain, I'm going to read you the story of creation and you may receive it for the first time. You've heard it many times. But this is the first time that you're actually going to receive it. The understanding of God as creator, right, actually is, is something that you um, experientially know. And so it's not just about knowledge that is in the head, right? It's about the whole person coming to know God as creator. Um, and then there are other experiences as well. We offer these four credit classes that are in great books, right? So a lot of these colleges are abandoning the, the humanities in droves, right? And, you know, if you're, you're getting something, it's going to be like the, so maybe we're reading a good author. Maybe we're reading something like Virginia Woolf, but it's just going to be like her images of the city in Virginia Woolf, right? You're not actually reading any complete work of novel. You're reading tons of secondary literature and theory, 
And I went to graduate school. I did all the theory. So that's great. But at the same time, it's not maybe what an undergraduate is ready for. Um, and so students are, are hungry for that, that great literature, those great works of philosophy, history, uh, poetry, and the integration of all of them. And so for some of the students, that's the way that they've come to these classes. So I've had students who come to these classes because they have a hunger for the great tradition. And then that great tradition asks, poses some questions, some questions that you find in Homer continue into, you know, St. Augustine and then Shakespeare and others. And I'll have students who prop, you know, plop down in my office and be like, I, I think I need to talk to you about something else besides class. <laughs> And I'm like, that's okay. It's great. You know, it's, that's, we'll take you as you are. Right. And we'll walk with you on that journey. Um, so it's not a silver bullet. I mean, the Newman Institute exists in that way that it's not, it's not a program that you have sort of step one, two, three, and four. Right. And so it's intensive and it, it requires a lot of work and a lot of faculty and a lot of resources in order to gather up all these students and to meet them where they're at in their career and their life and um, invite them into the riches of the Catholic tradition. <laughs> yeah. You sound busy. <laughs> we, we're very busy. It's, 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 it's amazing to go from like, um, you know, coming up with, with textual notes for say like a passage of scripture and reading the Greek and then be like, Oh, Oh no, I need to make like dinner for, for a hundred people. <laughs> I think that's wonderful and I love that different aspects of that that draw people in right that there is this relational thing that's building and obviously very successful inviting people in and building a community like that and also the idea of also building this community outdoors and then offering these courses that people can kind of come in and access at their own you know of their own choice but exposing them to these big ideas and the connections uh, between these great works and, and works of uh, and famous Catholic you know, saints and, and thinkers. I think that's awesome, the, the variety of stuff. I, I, had a, I had a philosophy of religion class once. It's like a 200-level a undergrad course taught at the United College on campus of this university here. And we have a bunch of those different colleges there on campus, similar to you know that, that, different, that older Oxford kind of style. This was the United Church College uh, that taught this philosophy of religion course. And twice a year, for no reason whatsoever that I could discern, the, the prof who was president of the college just had this amazing spread of food for us. We'd get there at 9 a.m. on a Friday morning. Everyone's feeling a little tired, ready for the weekend, but here we are. And we'd open the, you know, open the doors, and, and there's this beautiful spread of food for us in this table. And it wasn't like, as you said, it wasn't, it wasn't just you know bagels, warmed up bagels. It was... It was good breakfast food. And I remember thinking back then as a starving, quote-unquote, student, right, so busy, no time for anything. Again, now we have kids. It's my different perspective. Yeah. But I felt very busy, and I felt very starving back then, although I had a lot of money, it turns out, in hindsight, and I, and I had a lot of time on my hands. But you, you walk in there, and, okay, the topic is, say, the problem of evil, or the topic is, is sin or suffering or something, and also here's this spread of amazing food. And so for me, that experience was this amazing experience of being literally fed physically, this, this community that had been building in this class together, and this, this teaching that really got you thinking deeply about the subject of, of, of faith and religion and incorporating these, these great texts as this prof did to examine this through the lens. That for me was like, yes, this is something done really well. 
that's going to draw people in. I, as you talk, I'm thinking of this experience of mine, and, and what, what I think is that how that still really resonates for me all these many years, many, many years later. I still think of that, and I think there's something right about that, and what you're describing here, there's something right about this that's, that's lasting, right? Not a program that's just very here and, and then gone in, in five years. What you're building is going to actually reach people and change people, change lives, right? Yeah, and that's the beautiful thing, having done something like this for the last eight years, is that going to the weddings of students, seeing them, you know, have kids and still being able to talk to them and just follow along with their lives. That's, you know, man is a political animal. Um, oftentimes today, we, we tend to sort of put that in the corner of politics as it is conceived today. Um, but even what you're talking about there. Um, food is meant to be part of the nature of our political nature, right? It's not meant to be something that we just consume alone in a car, you know, drop through the fast food lane, right? Eat my whatever garbage food and then throw it out, right? Food is meant to be enjoyed together in person. And I'm sure you as a, as a husband and father experience that as well in terms of the insistence of like, let's sit down on the table and let's talk about our day. Let's talk about these things. And it's not just about eating the food as fast as you can, right? It's about the political nature of that. And, you know, if you don't think that's important, just look at, you know, how God has structured the, the heart of the liturgy, right, in the Mass, that, you're, you know, you're bringing the people here together, right, to, to feed them. Um, so we like to say, in terms of political animal that human beings are, that the Newman Institute feeds your, your mind, feeds your body, feeds your soul, Right. So all those things are necessary for an integrated person, right? And we ignore the in integrity of that to, oh, I don't know what to say here. If, if you ignore that, right, then you become a program. You become a movement, right? And you start seeing people as numbers, right? That it's not about my students anymore. It's not about Joseph. It's not about um, Mary, right? It's not about, sorry, pick. Those are names of two extra <laughs> students, but also <laughs> what's the, uh, what was that great quote from that the, the basketball coach? Right? Did you see the royal family? Right? You, know, you, meet, you mean Mary, Joseph, and, and Jesus? Right? And anyway, the the only royal family that matters, right? Um, yeah. So you, you gotta you gotta take this holistic approach to to all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Now, the, the impression that I think a lot of people have and get, and my wife worked on campus administration for a number of years, and so I have also uh, her perspective that's often shared around the dinner table. We hear all kinds of stories that the, the, the campus, wherever you are, I think regardless of where you are, is a very liberalizing thing. It's very much, uh, po I don't know, post-religion, post-faith, post thinking of those kinds of things. It's very secular. It's, 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 it's built to be a machine that's going to suck the, the faith out of people because there's just no room for those kind of thoughts on campus anymore. I certainly feel true in a lot of places up here in Canada. We're a bit ahead of the curve in terms of the states uh, and, and more, I think, towards the trajectory that, that Europe is on, maybe. But is it is this, like, from your perspective on the ground, is this the case? Is it inevitable that somebody who goes off to college is going to have that faith sucked out of them as the, as the default? Like, is that the experience that you're seeing on the ground? No, I, not at all. I think that's just sort of a false impression, right? A lot of people are already coming with that perspective, and it's reinforcing these things. Yeah. 
I think there are challenges today for, especially in terms of recruiting faculty. There's just a sort of weird dichotomy that I, I kind of run across sometimes, or not a false dichotomy, uh, what do I want to say? An imagined a- antagonism between faculty and students, right? Um, as if faculty, you know, weren't also, you know, just on the national average, 20-some percent being Catholic, right? So those people also fall under the scope of, you know, potential friends, right? And if you just treat them, you know, and sort of score easy points at the Newman Center of like, okay, come to the Newman Center. It's not that this liberal monstrosity that the university is, right, with all the, you know, we, we know the sort of things that are being, you know, sort of imagined to be proclaimed there, right? And, you know, as, as someone on the other side who's been a faculty member, right, in a philosophy department and other places as well inside the university system, I'm saying it's, it's largely imagined, right? It's largely tame, right, in terms of, like, no one's proselytizing one way or another, right? Um, people are just trying to, the same way the students are complaining about, you know, professors as if they're the weather, like, oh, gosh, you know, did, uh, you know, did Krebs give you a, um, a quiz the other day? Yeah, it just blew in like a weather system, right? Just this pop quiz, right? And students love to complain about that, and we get that. <laughs> Because you got to complain about faculty because they all do weird things, right? We kind of had that idea of when I went to graduate school, it was like when you finish graduate school, that's where, like, before you go to teach, they give you a hat and you got to pick like one weird verbal tick <laughs> and one sort of like physical anomaly. You walk with a cane, maybe a monocle or something like that. Um, and I say as faculty too, I mean, most of the effort is not sort of directed at like sort of trying to. Uh, corrupt the souls of the youth, right? Most of the, the, the time it's just trying to get a decent essay that's not AI generated out of them. Um, and there are ways in which, look, that, that whole issue is, is, is a whole thing where we've just, you know, there's a lack of freedom among faculty in terms of thinking outside the box of the ways that we teach and the ways that we grade and the ways that we view the classroom, Right. Um, to think that like, okay, I got to turn out like five papers and then a final and a midterm and then I'm done. Right. As opposed to thinking, all right, well, if I have my students memorize a sonnet by Shakespeare, maybe that can take the place of a four to five page paper because that four to five page paper and many faculty have experienced this. And I experienced it early in my career, maybe when I was less good at teaching, um, you know, you grade the paper and then the paper gets thrown out, right? And student never thinks about it again. You have them memorize a sonnet and the act of memorization, they have to kind of like hold it and think about it. And it's like a pearl, right? That you polished and you challenge them and say, okay, at the end of the semester, in addition to the final, you're also going to come, you're going to recite this poetry that you've been memorizing. So it's not just like memorize it for today and then it's done. You got to keep it over the, the whole extent <laughs> of months. And then the, we'll have a conversation about that poem, right? And say, what does that, what does that make you think? Um, and sorry, to return to the original part of the question was that I, I don't think these faculty are out to corrupt people, right? They're very few and far between. And most of us are just trying to do a decent job. Um, we feel isolated, right? Same way that students do, right? And you feel like you don't have the freedom to say these sorts of things that, you know, draw from maybe your faith. And of course, teaching at a state school, you're not supposed to explicitly do that anyway. And wonderful moments that I've had teaching philosophy and just, you know, engaging with the thoughts of philosophers on a genuine you know, basis of saying, all right, let's give Bentham and Mills and Hume and Smith, like the, the absolute like treatment of what they thought, right? 
again, just as a good Thomistic philosopher would do, you don't straw man everyone else's argument, right? You, you come out with the objections and you give the best possible objections. And um, in fact, you know, the same way with Aquinas that you want to state the principles and the ideas of your opponent uh, as clear as possible, clearer even than your opponent perhaps can conceive of them. And just coming out and having students come to me and be like, you know, this is after semester once and, and I wasn't going to teach the student again. He was like, you know, I, I, you know, I understand kind of what's going on here, but um, I, I don't like you atheist professors, you know, preaching this. And I, and I said, oh, you misunderstood what I was doing there. I was, I was giving, you know, the argument it's due. Let's go grab a coffee. Let's talk <laughs> about what you believe. And then I'm going to tell you a few things that might surprise you about what I believe. Uh, I think there are a lot of faculty who are waiting for moments like that and who have moments like that. We, we once did this faculty forum when I was working at Emporia State University called Reditus, where we had faculty from, again, not just Catholics, you know, believers of one sort or of another, come and talk about the intersection of their faith and their research. But it has to happen off campus, right? And I think the, the thing is that we need to create spaces as a church for these conversations. If we set up the university as the enemy, we're not doing anyone a good service, right? And just amazing conversations that come out of that. Faculty who are very intelligent and very smart, but who've never been invited to give their reflections on these sorts of topics. We had one amazing professor, she's a mathematician who studies infinities, right? She was talking about how the study of infinities and the different sizes of infinities, right, helps her in her contemplation of the nature of God. <laughs> and things that just blow my mind, um, you know, research topics in areas that I don't think about. And I think... You know, it's maybe over the years, if they see themselves as the enemy of campus ministry and campus ministry treats them like the enemy, instead of building bridges, instead of saying, hey, that's a really interesting topic. I'd love for you to come give a talk about that to our students, right? And maybe be a little more explicit about that. So we have a, a faculty member, not Catholic, who's going to give a talk this coming spring on Jane Austen and, and religion. Right. And again, it's, it's one of these things where it's just um, we we try to score points with the students by, you know, of course, a lot of students, you know, the faculty are again, I get good reviews. But for other faculty, sometimes they're, <laughs> they're they're kind of treated as the enemy. Right. Sort of like this antagonism, right. This false conception of like they're trying to prevent me from getting whatever grade it is. Right. Um. And so an easy win for campus ministry is to treat the faculty as if they're also the enemy, right? Say, hey, we're on your side, students, right? Gosh, they're so hard, right? How dare they give you quizzes and tests and papers and actually test your knowledge and ask you to grow as a person. <laughs> That's fantastic. You, you talk a lot about the integrated person and that one of the goals of the, of the Newman Institute is, is fostering that kind of idea. And I think... Gosh, how unintegrated I was when I began my undergrad career, right? And a lot of these students coming to campus would, wouldn't, I don't think even be thinking or approaching things that way. You talk about inoculation, right? So for them, the Catholic faith might be this kind of compartmentalized thing that they did over here, maybe growing up. They've learned about it from K through, through K to eight, maybe in high school a little bit. You know, they had the sacraments, but then that is kind of where it ends. And oftentimes, I mean, that's a whole other subject. We kind of surrender the sacraments at, at the end there. We kind of surrender to this inertia of, okay, they've been, con they've been confirmed, that's the end, and they're gone, and that's okay. Like that's, yeah, Catholic graduation. Yeah, right? That, that's a problem. But how do you get them then to begin to realize that the goal of, 
of the Catholic faith, the goal of why we're here on earth, why we're created, is to become that integrated person. How do you get people to, to thirst for that, to begin to, to want that and break out of that, that college mindset of maybe just the, I'm doing my papers, I'm then going to party, or I'm doing this, then I'm doing yeah. this. How do, you, how do you foster that? Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest, it's, it's friendship. Yeah. Um, and there are different kinds of friendships. And I think this, we do a great disservice in the way that we run Newman centers by segregating them of 18 to 22 year olds, right. As this own population who exists outside of the authentic friendship that can happen not only between them, but between faculty and families and other things else. I mean, early Newman clubs, um, students would often go to whatever local parish there was, um, and so they were part of parish life, right? This idea of creating sort of campus ministry as its own, hey, we're just going to have mass just for these um, people from 18 to 22. So we, we're, we're, list, we're, we're taking away a lot of the, the sacramental integrity of the church, right? No baptisms, certainly no funerals, right? So death is not present, right? So we get to pretend that that doesn't exist. There's a whole other problem in terms of like actually communicating, okay, well, look, you're going to die one day. These are the consequences. These are the wages of sin. And you have decisions that you need to make, right? And so by by running campus ministry as if it's just a, a party club, right? Or, or pizza night for 18 to 22 year olds. I mean, that's just not going to be something that leads to sort of the, the, the level of commitment, right, that sees and, and suffers the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, right? Um, when those t- tough times come and all you have is cotton candy Jesus, then, sorry, <laughs> but when all you have Tasty. is that, right, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to melt, right, yeah, yeah. In, the, in those storms, yeah. right? Yeah. What you need is the rock, and that comes in, in sort of seeing the larger aspects of life. And I think, you know, having... Um, Socratic friendships and, and dialogues again, different kind of friendship altogether. You know, it's not a it's not a colleague friendship, right? It's not the friendship of pleasure that Aristotle talks about, which is so common among those who are younger, right? But understanding that I see this higher truth and I'm desiring it, and I'm going to invite you on this path along with it, and we're on this together, right? And then to see as well that there can be other kinds of friendships too, right? Between lower classmen and upper classmen that are built on virtue and not just on friendships of pleasure, right, or utility, right, that um, this is the, the larger problem that we have of building integrity of life, right, because there is no integrity of life when everything and everyone around you is in this little bubble of the, the beautiful people, right? Um, and, of course, there's some people who largely feel marginalized when it becomes that, right, that what ends up happening is you get clicks and clubs and... Um, you know, what, what you're looking for oftentimes are those people who are aware of the fact that this is not always going to last, that you're going to get older, that you're going to die, that you could die tomorrow, even when you're 18, right? That this sort of integrity of life, of understanding the larger picture has to be confronted sometime or another. And then you can postpone these decisions as much as you want. Um, but, um, what do I want to say? Um, that postponement can only last so long. The time will out. 
I think that's so interesting because the student church I mentioned before, in my experience, the non-denominational evangelical church that I mentioned that was so formative for me, the pastor there always would say kind of on, on the side to those of us who kind of worked and volunteered, you know, who were on the inn, that it wasn't really a church because we never had communion. We didn't do weddings and we didn't do baptisms. We didn't yeah. have sacraments at all. But even in the even in that evangelical Protestant kind of lens, the, the pastor didn't believe we were a real church because we weren't doing those things that that would make it into a church. So I think that's so interesting that, that you also commented on that and then and the need to to draw people into that deeper, bigger thing. Right? That that what you're doing as a student isn't just studenty things. But you're doing those things in a, in a larger community and seeing other, having to interact with other people that you aren't maybe used to, that maybe is uncomfortable, and seeing things that make you uncomfortable, like a funeral happening over here, right, or a baptism of a of a gosh, a, a baby <laughs> that'll yeah. change my life. You know, having to having to think that those kind of things through and experience those things, right, G- grounds a person a bit deeper than just doing studenty things. Does that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and and. And, you know, you might have some people who are graduate students and people who linger on who have young children. But what you don't normally see at a Newman Center and these sorts of parishes is like the angst and the drama of having a tween or a teenager or something like that. <laughs> oh, gosh. Like at first, you know, as a young faculty member, uh, at, you know, coming into a Newman Center with my family when we had like a, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, right? Or just a newborn baby. It's just, oh, it's so cute, right? But now that, you know, we have these older kids, it's like, <laughs> no, there's a there's a larger reality that like, um, you know, it's not always, um, you know, just all puppy dogs and kittens, right? <laughs> um, and that's not what married life is, right? I, I love seeing, you know, again, and love in a sarcastic way, you know, marriage <laughs> advice from like these, you know, influencer Catholics who maybe married one year or something like that, oh, no. talking about like conflict with spouses. And it's like, you've not actually been in the trenches yet. Sorry, there, maybe there are, maybe, maybe I don't understand the circumstances, but <laughs> nonetheless, it's, it's just something that um, students aren't really exposed to a lot of the time. Um, they've seen their own family, their own parents, right? And again, so many of them come from broken homes. Yeah. And I think we do a real disadvantage when we don't provide them with relationships and friendships with um, faculty, staff, parishioners, other people who are maybe um, some better models of, look, we didn't really practice the faith much when I was a kid, right? So a lot of the things that we do that are quote unquote traditions in in my household, right? Right now, if you go upstairs, there's going to be a tree with purple lights on it, right? Because it's Advent, right? That's just us inventing a tradition, right? It's a false tradition. It's ersatz tradition, right? It just tastes like bad, you know, coffee from the 1950s, right? Which is not real coffee. Um, and, and so there's, there's something of like, I have to start with that because it wasn't given to me. And so I, I don't have anything else except for what I've read in books. But I think, you know, a campus ministry needs to engage the larger person and show them these models, right? Um, and I think we ignore to the detriment of the fact that so many of them are coming from these broken homes, which leads to the sort of like heart-wrenching questions that are there in the back of their mind, that it's the thing that they, they put the shell up in front of, right? So there's this veneer of what I post on my social media. There's who I present myself as a person, um, how I dress and how I come to class. But there's a, a larger brokenness oftentimes that's going on there. And of course, there's, there's a problem there where if you treat everything as a silver bullet, then you see these broken people as, you know, sort of potential numbers, if, if not customers, right? 
we sometimes get as a Newman Center, these people who are influencers who want to come and we'll come talk for free. But then, you know, if students want life coaching from us or something like this, they'll pay us several thousands of dollars. And it's like, you're just taking advantage of broken people, right? You're not actually trying to come in there, be present with them, walk with them for an extended period of time, and then help them recover an integrity of life that then says, okay, now you're off on your own, right? I've, I've helped you as much as I can, right? You're, you're welcome to come back and, and, and be formed more. But really what it's about is trying to form them for the rest of their lives. So it's not about sort of just getting the, the maximum number of people into to whatever thing. I mean, so while the numbers are, are good here in terms of students participating in everything, um, it's not about that. Um, I think it's the individual students who have their own story of coming to the faith and coming to realization of the deeper truths of the Catholic tradition, right, um, that are the important aspect. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's, it's what's there. I mean, we, we do this different thing. Uh, Father Rowling, who's our academic dean at St. Gregory's, um, he also teaches our philosophy class. And uh, he taught our philosophy of religion class last spring. And uh, the thing that we did is this um, office hours. So instead of normal office hours, we were just sitting in an office. We went and got, you know, coffee. And we did our own pour over coffee. And we baked treats for students. And we said, all right, we're going to just sit here. And we're going to make coffee. This is our office hours, right? And, you know, whatever questions that are important to you right now, let's talk about them. So we had a, a gosh, there was... Uh, one student who had, she was in a death and dying class, right? And so she's like coming up and asking questions like, what do you do in your will, right? How do you make, uh, how do you, how do you arrange for a funeral, right? Or anything else like this, um, which are, you know, it's not really classroom conversation, um, but it's a larger Catholic issue of confronting our mortality. And then at the same time, enjoying a good cup of coffee and just being present to people. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like to me that that kind of a person, and this is maybe true for so many people who are coming through your doors, is just hungry for somebody, uh, you know, a role model, uh, somebody that they can see who's, who's practicing the faith, who's striving to be that integrated person, that authentic Catholic, uh, receiving the sacraments, going to Mass, uh, not totally crazy, also kind of interesting and, and, thought, and thoughtful, not a one-dimensional Catholic, Right. They, they see someone like that and they're going to gravitate towards a person like that and ask and ask questions. And that's that jumping off point to then deepen their faith. Right. That's, that's, yeah. that's the ancient model of evangelization. Right. But it's, but it's the important thing about it too, is right. That it, you know, I have to have that Pauline perspective of like, you know, I, you know, it may start with a personal fascination or sort of like, Hey, that, that person seems to know something that, that seems more grounded, but if it stops at me, right. I think it's one of the worst things that happens in some of these programs is they become personality cults, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Where, again, um, by having the great books in our programs, right, that's it's kind of baked in there. That It's not about Professor Callahan. It's about Homer. It's about Shakespeare. It's about St. Paul and Jesus, right? That um, for a while I can walk with you, um, but ultimately I'm equipping you with the ability to go read these timeless authors, right, who are accessible, much cheaper than your science textbook. I think, you know, these <laughs> science textbooks these days, right? 
gosh, like, you know, at least minimum $150, if not 300 or something like that. And then you can go and you can just go online and you can download for free, you know, these wonderful translations of just all the greatest classics, right? And you can go to your local library and you can just pick them up, um, you know, and I think that's the the thing that we're we're most excited about is when students come at the end of the semester and say, all right, well, now that we've read this, what am I going to read over winter break? What am I going to read over the summer? Um, and that's when I'm, you know, I can then point them to some of the other great sort of like peripheral Catholic authors, right? Be like, hey, here's the power and the glory, right? Go go read that, right? Here's some C.S. Lewis. Here's some Monsignor Knox. Here's some Evelyn Wall, and then you know, go read that Robert Hugh Benson and then come back and let's talk about that. <laughs> and science be damned. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, and, and quite honestly, I mean, so many of the, the majors who come in, right, are these science <laughs> majors. And I think there's a, a, re, a grounding in reality that comes from the sciences that um, makes them open to the truth. Um, so even though, you know, a large amount of what I do is teach the humanities, um, I would say these science majors are often the ones who don't have to be brought to the fact that there is some sort of objective yeah. reality out there. Um, and then what the humanities do is say, okay, well, there's this objective reality, but let's talk about the why, right? So you, you have the what. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure too, I, so I have a brother-in-law who's an engineer and friends who are engineers, and those kinds of programs are just crazy intense So and, and one-dimensional. Right, so the relief yeah. of being able to, oh my gosh, take this course and this other thing here, and think about other things beyond my little narrow, because you can get crazy compartmentalized, right, and on in your field, in your discipline, to the detriment of everything else, and and stop thinking of those things sometimes, or those thoughts that that expand your brain, or connect you back to to reality. If you're just doing this one thing here, right, so that's probably a relief sometimes to think about other things, right? It, it is, and it's. Um the modern university is so hyper-specialized, yeah. right? That like, you know, uh, when I went to graduate school, I wrote on um, the Pindark scolia, right? So something like no one's ever really heard of Pindar, <laughs> much less the um, early commentaries that were written by people like, you know, Aristarchus and Didymus. And, and I'm just throwing out names here and I could just make up, you know, other sort of <laughs> Greek and Roman sounding names. You'd probably believe me, right? Um but no one, no one really reads that stuff. Um, I mean, it, it is high stakes. There's, there's something beautiful in what I worked in. Um, I see the integration. I, I work in multi-textuality of um, textual traditions, right? So that is, there's a multiplicity of authors who wrote commentaries, and these commentaries are all combined, and then they form one text. But this one text has many iterations and forms, and what do you mean that it's one text? where then I can go to the Bible and I can talk about the multi-textuality of the Bible, right? So again, reading it with the magisterial eyes of the church, but also understanding that over time, there's been many forms that it's taken of just the Pentateuch by itself, right? Reading the, the larger canon in the, in the Old Testament, then going and seeing, all right, well, here's the textual tradition and here's the, the old Latin and here's the, the new Latin. St. Saint, Saint Augustine's mad at St. Jerome because he doesn't like, like the new Latin. St. Jerome's kind of, how much Hebrew did you study, St. Augustine, putting him in his place, <laughs> slapping him around like you should? Um, St. Jerome was my patron, so I, I kind of take his side in the St. Jerome-St. <laughs> Augustine debate. But this, this idea of hyper-specialization can lead to this fear and timidity of speaking into a topic that you're not hyper-specialized in. And so I see that with a lot of faculty 
And this is, um, and again, it's recognizing on a human level, right? There's not something where like um, they're maliciously being like, yes, let's study this tiny minute detail, right? I only work on this one letter of, uh, you know, John Keats, right? And I explore it only through the lens of this one, you know, textual criticism, right? Well, no one sets out life to do that, right? The, the problem is that a lot of graduate school trains you to feel that you're only qualified to to speak on things that you've, you know, have a 75-page bibliography for, right? And so recognizing on a human level that there are these faculty who want to speak about the integration of, what if I talked about, you know, these astrophysics and Dante together, right? But then feeling that the modern university doesn't allow them to do that. Well, the Newman Center, right, and these sorts of things, they sh they're, they're poised to do that right? No one's going to come and, you know, strike you down from the faculty list because you gave a talk at a Newman Center. No one's paying attention to that on the faculty, <laughs> right? Who is paying attention to it? The students. The students who are then also in classes that are across all these various disciplines. And so when they can see the interconnectivity between the various disciplines through faculty who modeled that at Newman Centers, then it just opens up college for them. Um, and of course, this is all presuming, you know, there's, there's far and few between Newman centers who, who sort of try to engage the intellectual life, right, in, in an authentic way, you know, with the, the for credit and non for credit classes, or any sort of intellectual training. And I think this is the, the biggest challenge that we face in Newman centers is that we invest so much time and energy and money in K through 12 Catholic education, which um, is... Um, We'll leave that aside. My kids go to Catholic school, but at the same time, I'll also acknowledge that, you know, with something like 98% of Catholic college students go, don't go to an authentically Catholic college. If you want to encompass, you know, all Catholic colleges, then you have something closer to like 92% don't go to Catholic college, right? So if 92% of Catholic college students don't go to Catholic colleges, and then we run these 2,000 Newman centers, right, these campus ministries, and we invest all this time and energy and money on this physical plant of Newman centers when all you really need to do is bring in a few Catholic faculty or identify Catholic faculty who can help lead these discussions. Go back to the earlier model in the 19th and early 20th century of the Newman Club. Uh, you know, 92, you know, in a generous sense are, of Catholic college students aren't in Catholic colleges. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to give them that vision? Um, and I think something like the Newman Institute is, is there. There's a few other places that exist across the country. Um, you have Lumen Christi in Chicago. You have the Collegium Institute in the University of Pennsylvania. Um, but largely, large state schools, secular schools, where you have tens of thousands of students and often uh, thousands, if not tens of thousands of Catholic students, you know, we, we give them the sacraments and then, you know, that, that's it. We don't speak to anything else deeper in their life as students. Sorry, I'm, I'm on my hobby horse here, but you know, the way I see it is that, you know, it's, it was like a military chaplaincy that never once addresses the fact that everyone who's being served by the military chaplaincy is in the military, right? So if all we do are pizza, soda, sacraments, and Bible studies, and we don't talk about the fact that everyone here is a university student, and they're all doing advanced academic work, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I, I could be a little cruel, <laughs> cruel about it, but I mean, just try to make it in, yeah. in steep terms that yeah. this is, these are the stakes. And we invest all this time and energy in K through 12 Catholic education in the United States. 
And then we say, well, the students have their choice whether to go to a Catholic school or a state school, and they made their choice, and they can sleep in that bed. And uh, we'll, you know, we'll make sure that, you know, there's a priest there to make sure that there's the sacraments, and and that's kind of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like you have a different model. <laughs> no, we, sorry, yeah, we do. And sorry, I'm, I'm getting on my my shtick here, no, but that's good. I mean, the idea is that. We, you know, we don't need as the Catholic Church to be teaching, um, you know, graphic design. We don't need as the Catholic Church to be teaching astrophysics. What we need are a few university faculty, um, even just one, right, who can be that voice yeah. who talks into, for students, the integration of all the different models of learning and then talks about how the faith is that center, right, that holds that makes sense of all these other aspects, right? Go and read St. John Henry Newman's The Idea of a University. You'll see the centrality of religion and theology to university life. And it takes very little to actually offer that, to propose that to students. Um, and yet, we don't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I like your hobby horse. It's, it's a good one. It's a yeah. Good one. That's awesome. Listen, this has been an, an awesome chat. I think it really really good conversation uh hopefully listeners enjoy this i've enjoyed having it and if not well i'm i'm sorry it's my show so i've enjoyed talking to you <laughs> Patrick. well it's been a pleasure too it's been great uh if people want to know more about uh, the newman institute or this this model or the the programs that you're offering if people yeah. listen if people listening who i know they are who who are who run things on campuses who want to know how they can begin to deepen those things where do you want to point them towards for more information to to learn more um, so they can go to newmaninstitute.com to find out about the Newman Institute itself, right? Um, and alternatively as well, there's the Inlumine Network, which has been started up by Lumen Christi and a few other um, of these uh, intellectual um, uh, institutes, on uh, Catholic intellectual institutes on, on colleges. That's this larger growing movement. Um, but if someone runs a campus ministry and they want to talk about real, authentic intellectual formation that can be transformative and evangelizing, um, they're more than welcome to, to reach out to me and, you know, um, we can arrange to have some conversations about how to set something up like that. I think, you know, we're, we're one college, we're a rather large college, University of Nebraska-Lincoln, um, but there's, there's all these other tens of thousands, in fact, 16 million Catholic college students who need something like this, and I'm happy to talk with people about how to set up shop. It doesn't take much to make this happen. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Patrick, for being on the show, for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. I want to say God bless you and the work you're doing for the church. That's awesome stuff. And uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for, for finally making it, our scheduling mishaps. Uh, who knew yeah. it worked out so well? So thanks so much for being here. All right. Well, thank you, and God bless. Thank you, you too. Well, thanks again, friends, for listening to the episode of the Cordial Catholic Podcast. My guest, Patrick Callahan. A fun conversation. Hopefully you enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun. We mentioned a few times to pull the curtain back a little bit, the scheduling mishaps. We had to reschedule this, I think, uh, two or three times at least to get this thing to happen. 
first uh, my family was sick and then Patrick's family was sick and then they were sick again and then we were sick again and it was back and forth for probably about a good month and a half of trying to schedule this interview so uh, I'm glad it finally happened and hopefully it was worth the wait I enjoyed it hopefully you did too let me know leave your feedback at cordialcatholic at gmail.com uh, or find us on Twitter or uh, Instagram at Cordial Catholic. We're on Facebook at The Cordial Catholic. And uh, you can find our website for show notes for this show and my blog and those kinds of things at thecordialcatholic.com. Please do check those places out and reach out to us any which way you'd like to. Let me know how you are, what you think of the show, how you enjoyed this, and any feedback that you have is always very valuable. And I enjoy all the emails that I get and write back to them as soon as I can. So thank you for for reaching out. Thanks for your support of the show. If you want to deepen your support of the show financially, head over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. Those links are in the show notes so you can check out how you can support the show and some of the perks that we try and give back to you for those patrons at patreon.com. And and thank you. Thank you for prayerfully considering supporting this show and deepening your support in that way. It means a lot to do this thing. kind of amazing and thank you for helping to underpin this thing that i think god gave us as a mission it keeps on going so thanks guys thanks for listening talk again next week and god bless This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordial cafe a special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.